House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Um, now, today we have a, an incredible guest. Um, we're really glad that she decided to take the time to come on the show. We've talked about this case and, um, and had Marsha Clark and all sorts of people involved in it, and uh, um, by far this will be the, uh, the most important interview. Um, so who we have with us on the line is Kim Goldman. Thank you for talking with us. Oh, thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Wow. So um, it's been 25 years now since your uh, brother was murdered. Um, it's, it, so at this point in your, in your, in your life, um, how do you, how do you look back on the whole thing, uh, an overall view of of how the trial was handled, um, and what you think um, was representative of your brother? Um, well, I, I I guess I would say um, that I try to separate that a little bit because I don't think that the overall trial was a representation of my brother. Uh, my brother was not very well. Um, acknowledged um, in, in that case um, he was always just referred to as, as the friend or the other victim um, but I think that what this the trial and, and the subsequent you know information that we've learned after the fact the civil case etc um, I think really is just sort of a um, you know demonstrates the injustice in our country and, and you know we talk a lot about race and, and celebrityism and um, you know, just how things went wrong in that case. And then I also get to talk about my brother being a hero. So I think those two things are separate. So, you know, when we go back to the time, how old were you and uh, what was going on in your life uh, when the murders happened? Uh, I was 22. Um, I was 22 and a half, probably. Um, I was living in San Francisco, uh, finishing up my schooling, uh, and I was working uh, full-time at Wells Fargo Bank and doing an internship at a psychiatric hospital um, and applying for grad school or just starting to apply to grad school. What were you, what were you wanting to graduate in? Psychology. Um, I was one of those weird kids that uh, knew exactly what she wanted to be at six. Um, and I always <laughs> wanted to be a, um, a child psychologist. Um, I benefited so much from, from therapy growing up that I wanted to be able to do that for uh, career, so that's what I was working towards. So, how did this murder impact that? Were you able to complete your degree? Did you did you ever go back into that field, or did you change totally? Um, I I did not finish. Uh, I did not continue down that path at the time. Um, I focused my attention on on my brother and and what was needed um, in, in Los Angeles at the time, um, and then I ended up in a couple of weird jobs after that, um, and then found my way back into nonprofit life. Um, and so I was working for a, a handful of organizations that worked with people um, uh, with autism, and then I, I, I ran an organization called Best Buddies for a long time, which worked with people with developmental disabilities. Um, and then now I've been uh, running an organization called The Youth Project that provides um, free mental health um, to teenagers, and I've been here since 2005. So I did make my way back years later, um, so I get to work with kids now and help them deal with depression and suicide and grief and hmm. domestic violence and such, so I was able to make my way back. Well, that's, that's, that's important. Um, 
Now, I, I have to ask, um, you've been out talking and, and doing your podcast and stuff, and, and one of the comments that came out was, was of course, by, by Oprah, and some of the others even, I've heard this, and, and, and Oprah asked, I remember, why don't you move on for you? Um, how do you respond to that? Um, the same way I did all those years ago when she said that uh, to me, which is, how do you expect me to do that? Um, you know, we don't have complete control over what the media does. We don't have complete control over what the killer does. And because he still commands so much attention, um, I'm left on the receiving end of that. And so even if, even if, even if in theory or in my fantasy world I wanted to have a, have a killer-free existence in my life, um, I don't get to do that because he is who he is. And uh, I just have to figure out ways to compartmentalize it and figure out ways to not let it suffocate me, um, and that takes a lot of energy to do that, and sometimes I choose to engage in it, and sometimes I don't. It doesn't mean it's not out there. Um, the rest of the world can turn off, turn off the TV and choose not to participate, uh, but it's, it's part of me and it's attached to me, so I have to figure out a way to deal with it. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, it's kind of kind of offensive in a way. It's kind of a, um, just to even ask that. Um, it changes well, but your I, life. I, but I... But I think, I think, you know, the, the term move on, um, you know, insinuates that you put something behind you, that you've, that you've, you know, you've gotten over it or, you know, that, that's, that's what that phrase sort of means. Um, mm-hmm. for me, I move forward, um, and sometimes I move left and sometimes I go backwards and sometimes I go right because that's kind of how grief works. Yeah. It's not linear, um, and, um, I'm trying to, honor my grief and my loss and, and, and what we've experienced as a family and, and um, it's going to look different for me than it does for other people and I, I wish that that was more respected than judged. Yeah. And, and, and now, so how, how does that happen now? How do you choose and trust people that you meet and how do you, you know, like dating or any of that stuff, how, <laughs> how, how can you analyze that? Um, I don't. I don't do a very good job. That's why I'm so single. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, you know, it's hard. It, I, 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 my therapist used to tell me how trusting, uh, he, he's surprised I'm still so trusting after, after all that I've experienced in my life. I think that as I've gotten a little older, um, I think my guard has gone up a little bit more than when I was younger, partly because I don't have the energy to deal with other people's BS sometimes. Um, and, uh, I, I just, I, I do have a, a, a fear of being, taken advantage of or, um, you know, not being seen for who I am. And so um, I think I see things through a different lens than I did when I was younger. But I'm, I'm trying. It's a work in progress, as I, as I hope I always am for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you've ta- you guys took ownership of the book, If I Did It, and you made some changes and stuff. Was well, that part of the lawsuit? Is that sort of why you were doing that? Um, yeah, I, I want to be careful with the took ownership. We were ordered um uh, to take ownership of the book, so I, that's a little nuance, but I think mm-hmm. it's important because we didn't want the book published um, when we first heard about it, um, and we definitely didn't want him to benefit from it, which he did. Um, and so when that happened, because he still, you know, is is ordered to pay a civil judgment, um, our attorneys levied or uh, put a lien on the book um, and on the company that owned the book. Um, it was a shell company that he created to funnel funds through it so we couldn't find it. He, he, the killer, um, put that company into bankruptcy. The only asset of that was the book. The judge ordered us to monetize the book um, in order to 
pay off the bankruptcy um, fees and the debt that he owed. Um, so it's a little tricky there. Um, but once we did acquire the rights to the book, um, we were ordered to publish it. So we did sort of have to embrace it and rewrite it as a confession at that time. And, and that's that was the, the platform we, we did it on. Hmm. And, you know, <clears throat> you've never really received any part or very little of the $33 million awarded. Yeah, so the $33.5 million uh, was awarded between the estate for Nicole Brown and my dad, my, our family, um, and it has grown over time because it, it adds interest every year. So I think our portion to date is like in the $80 million something range. Um, but no, we've been unsuccessful in our pursuit. Um, it's, he's very much insulated by the law and um, by what he is required to pay. Um, he's very much protected, and um, the civil system doesn't really afford any resources to people trying to collect on their judgments. Can you tell us a, li- a little bit about your brother? What would what would you want people to know? Um, you know, I, I every day is a little bit different on the memories I have um, uh, of him because they they present themselves at times where I need them. So, um, you know, I think uh, my brother was such a champion for others and was such a, um, a, a lover of life and just embraced everything around him in such an optimistic way. Um, I think I, I, I pull from that a lot because it's important for me to maintain some optimism in my life. Um, but my brother, I think, you know, who he was in his last couple minutes, I think demonstrates exactly who he was. He was a fierce protector. Um, he, you know, he was loyal to the end. Um, you know, he fought to try to protect his friend and protect himself, and I think that's a pretty heroic act, and I think that's what I'd want people to remember of him and, and just how much he's missed and loved by his family. What, what was he planning at that time when he got murdered? Um, my brother was uh, 25, just uh, two weeks two weeks shy, um, three weeks shy of his 26th birthday, and um, was... Uh, wanting to present my dad with a business plan for a, a restaurant that he wanted to open um, in the shape of an onk, which is the tattoo that he had and the necklace that I wear of his. Um, he was, you know, wanted to, to be a business owner. You know, I mean, he had been fumbling through his life a little bit and, and trying to figure out what was important to him and what his purpose was. And, and he kind of came into it, you know, later and, and he had investors and had business plans and the design for his company and, and that's where he that was the next step he was planning to take and wanted my dad's support and backing so now when you when you go back to the trial um, how where do you think it went wrong like who do you do you blame anybody in particular um, I uh, I do I, I, I think I I place blame with the killer, um, first and foremost. Um, but I, I think that, that Judge Ito lost control of the courtroom, and I think that in doing so created a chaotic atmosphere um, so that everything was up, up for grabs. Um, and I think that the jury fell for that hook, line, and sinker. And, and no matter what the prosecution did or what evidence we had, um, I, I don't think that they... Um, we're willing to see it. I, I, and I don't know exactly how and why that happened, but, um, you know, I talked to two of the jurors on the, on the podcast and they explained it a little bit and, um, you know, they just, they, they didn't see the case and the evidence for, for what we did and for what we believed it proved. Um, 
I don't know. I, I don't know what would have changed their minds, if anything, and I don't know what we could have done differently to alter the outcome. Did you find... And by a, we, I say the prosecution. Right. Did you find one of the jurors that uh, thought it was a conspiracy? Um, yeah, we... Uh, he, he, they believe that... that there was something nefarious going on within, in, you know, in the police department, and that there was a the possibility that things could have been planted or conspired against um, the killer. Um, I don't find any evidence of that. I don't think many people do. I think it seems more unreasonable than reasonable that an entire police force would would band together to try to frame an innocent person, or to, as one says, maybe frame a guilty person. Um, when you have a mountain of evidence, there's really no reason to continue to do that. Um, but they yeah. dismissed it anyway. Especially with the timeline, uh, it's it's very bizarre how they would have had to go about planting that evidence. Well, and it just doesn't make any logical sense. I mean, they had no idea if if the killer had an alibi. They didn't know if he was dead or if he was alive. They had no idea anything about him, and they were going to conspire to plant and frame him. Um, and, and for why? They revered him. They loved him. They got autographs and pictures with him. I mean, why would they do that? It just and why would they risk their careers and their pensions and their reputations for what? Why? Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about having OJ on your podcast? Um, yeah, it's part of the process. Um, it was, it was, uh, you know, part of, part of, you know, the, the the name of the show is confronting him, and 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 part of that is 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 him in theory too. Um, you know, so that if if he didn't end up being on, which I don't know that I ever thought that he did, it was it's the process, it's confronting all of it, it's the case, it's the trial, it's the witnesses, it's the grief, the domestic violence, it's the loss, it's you know the the public perception. Um, and if if he was courageous enough to want to be able to sit down, then then I was open to do that. Um, I just don't know that I thought in my heart that he would. Yeah, didn't you try to see him once when he was in jail in Vegas, or? I did. I, it was important for me, uh, you know, the, um, to 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 see him behind bars. Um, you know, the last time I saw him, we both walked out of a courtroom together, and and uh, so when he was, you know, put in prison um, or in jail for the crimes that he committed, I was I was wanting to kind of shrink him in size um, to make it a little bit more manageable, the space that he had taken up in my brain, um, and to be able to maybe able to walk out of out of there and have him sit behind and, and you know, have his freedom taken from him. Um, but I, I I pursued that fiercely, uh, got close, um, but then wasn't willing to sign the, the contract, um, the agreement, the way that it was presented to me. What, did they, they wanted a no-disclosure no-diclo- agreement or something? Yeah, his attorney, um, Yale Galanter at the time, we had a couple of conversations and um, I appreciated his candor with me, um, but by the end, you know, he he asked me to agree. The only the, the condition was I would have to agree to sign an, a, a non-disclosure agreement, and I I just wasn't willing to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous because then he could have, well, you know, he could have said anything to you, right? He of course, could... and that's why they wanted me to to sign an agreement. They were concerned about that. Oh, concerned. He's he's not a very good talker. So, uh, what's your opinion on all that? Oh, you know the Twitter account and 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 the way he talks about he has people to get even with and 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 all of that stuff. Um, it's it's uh, it's hard. I you know going back to what you said, you know the comment about moving on. I mean, I very difficult to be going through my life as a as a single mom and a business owner and trying to you know ha- have some some sense of new normalcy going on and then be interrupted by that 
that nonsense. Um, it's painful because, you know, when he talks and his mannerisms, all I'm looking at is the person that stabbed my brother to death. And it's very hard to reconcile how those two things can happen in the same lifetime. And so, um, you know, it's, it's gross. Uh, it's disgusting to me. Um, but he is well within his rights to do it and I can't stop that. Um, I love that people go on and, and remind him constantly that he's a double murderer. I get some pleasure out of that. Mm-hmm. And and did you know the killer before the crime? No, I had no idea who he was. Oh, so you didn't you didn't even have an idea. Mm-mm. What's no. your th- What's your thought on death penalty? I I support the death penalty. Um, I never used to because I was a uh, you know psych background and thought everybody could be rehabilitated. <laughs> but <laughs> um, when this happened, um, I changed my mind. I, I do understand the flaws in this system. I don't I don't support the death penalty system as it stands today, um, but I do support the theory behind it. I wish that we would um, tighten it up. I think we. I wish we could get better at I think it's just a waste of money to put people on death row now. I don't think it really carries the weight and the purpose behind it, but I, I certainly yeah. believe in the in the concept of it. Would you be able to do it, but would I be able to do it? Yeah. I mean, with, if, with, if you, yeah, with with the killer, if 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 uh, you were given the button to push, a hundred percent, hundred percent, a hundred percent. He right. brutally stabbed two people to death. He nearly yeah. decapitated his wife. He stabbed my brother in the heart, the thigh, the the lung, his jugular vein. Um, what he did to those two people, innocent people, on that night is is unforgivable and uh, deserves to be met with the same torture. Especially because your family was thrust into the middle of something so public. Um, it, it, your grief was public. Your The scene of, I just remember you and your father together uh, when the uh, verdict was read, and it just tore my heart out. I mean, you and I are a similar age. I'm kind of in between uh, you and your brother in age. And I just saw what it did did to your family was just heartbreaking. Well, and, and I appreciate that. I think, you know, um, loss is, is painful um, and, uh, you know, it looks different for everybody. Grief is different for everyone. I think what was hard for us is that it was on the public stage and, mm-hmm. and you know, we were doing it under the scrutiny of, of a country and, and in some ways that was great because it gave me an opportunity to share my big brother and, and to share my dad and our bond and, and that that's amazing because I'm super proud and of them and, and I was raised by great people um, but in the same vein it, it really uh, it, it created a lot of emotion for a lot of people from the other side and, there, and there's been a lot of hate and there's been a lot of um, anger towards us um, and that's been hard to reconcile too because we just were kind of dumped off into this world that I, I was you know I, I didn't expect and couldn't prepare myself for, and not sh- anybody should ever. But um, you know, it's 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 polarizing and it's isolating, and uh, you know. Mm. But for the most part, people have been very supportive and, and very loving, um, and I'm I'm grateful for that. Was there any help offered to you and your family to to deal with this? Not not just the the grief and and the loss, but being thrust into the public eye. Um, in what way? In what way do you mean? Uh, I mean by, you know, say the prosecution or oh. what, whatever. 
So um, when the when the crimes happened, um, we were assigned a victim advocate from the district attorney's office, which mm. um, should be available to every crime uh, um, crime victim across the country. It isn't always, um, but we were we were assigned a, a victim advocate, Mark Arenas, and and uh, he was able to kind of walk us through the process and be there for us both emotionally and physically, and kind of explain how this was all going to go down. And we became, you know. Mark and I became very close, but then because of, you know, the elements of the, the case being so high profile, we, we became very close to the prosecution team, and, and I had a lot of access to them. Um, but we tried all of the other avenues of support, too, with support groups and therapy, and um, I, I waited some time to do that because at the time of my brother's murder, I wasn't really open and ready to that. Um, but there are a lot of resources available. People just need to know how to find them. You had a lot of responsibility as well. Your, your father seems like a really good man, um, you know, kind of a stand-up guy, and uh, uh, he was devastated as well, and um, you had to take care of the funeral and, and everything, if I'm right. Um, yeah, I, you know, it wasn't, it, you know, watching my dad, um, you know, he, he was broke. Um, I mean, both of us were. I just, I think I we had to get the funeral arrangements done someone had to do it you know so we i we took family uh, friends of the family and and you know my dad and and my stepmom and and you know we just my dad just couldn't bring himself to make decisions he was just completely consumed with grief and shock and i remember my dad just constantly saying it should be me it should be me him um you know and i that's like just left such an indelible mark on my heart um and watching my dad suffer so greatly um it just you know it's painful to see that and um our roles have changed over the years um but we are still tight as can be and um you know we share so much love and and for each other and for my brother and and uh you know he's my he's my touchstone you talk about your brother ron as a hero um Maybe um, I, I guess what I'm thinking of is probably from the car accident when you were 14. Yeah, you know, I we were in in Florida. Uh, my dad was dating his now wife, but his girlfriend at the time, and and uh, they were taking us back to our hotel. And a drunk driver um, was coming down the other side of the street, and his tire blew, and he hit a tree in the median. And in that process, the battery from the drunk driver's car came out and across the median into our car um, and blew up in my face and I suffered first, second, and third degree acid burns and my stepmom had uh, some acid brush across her face as well. Um, my brother pulled me from the car. Um, my dad, you know, obviously was looking for help and running around taking, grabbing Patty and my brother grabbed me and pulled me to the side and, um, you know, again, your instincts of, his instincts of being a protector, um, you know, just right there in that moment too and he sat with me in the hospital as my dad did and um you know just sat vigil with me and and uh you know he just i never never left his side and and i'm so grateful for that and he was you know again so optimistic in that moment trying to crack jokes i mean my face was mutilated and charred and and my brother's still in there trying to make me see the silver lining right and that carried through to the night um that he was murdered what do you think happened actually that night uh, I, I think that my brother walked into a, a scene where Nicole was being attacked by the killer and, and I think he ran to try to stop it and got in the middle of it and 
um, you know, the killer pushed Nicole down and she hit her head on the stoop, um, the step, and had a contusion on the back of her head. That's why we believe that. And then um, the killer attacked my brother and um, stabbed him and uh, five fatal wounds, over 30 defensive wounds, and left him for dead. Yeah, so he was... And he then was, went back and killed Nicole. Yeah, he was trying to protect her at the time. That's that's my belief. My brother was dropping off um, glasses that Nicole's mom had left at the restaurant that he worked at that Nicole and her family ate at earlier in the evening. And um, I know lots of people want to attach... Um, <laughs> some kind of importance to my my brother being the one to do that and um but my brother had plans that night and um you know he was they were friends as far as i know and that was the extent of that yeah there was a lot of gossip about him having mm-hmm. an affair with her but he actually had well, she a wasn't girlfriend. married right yeah and she wasn't married yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that little minor fact that doesn't make it an affair and and let's pretend they were let's pretend they were in an intimate relationship that doesn't warrant being stabbed to death no no this is terrible uh, now, you didn't know about the murder uh, for a while, did you? How long did it take before you were notified? So the murders happened on June 12th, and the news broke on the 13th. Um, and my dad uh, had the notification made to him um, at about 5 o'clock on that Monday. Um, so it was on the news all day. Uh, and my dad was a salesman at the time and in his car a lot, and he had been listening to the news all day. Um, about Nicole Brown Simpson and uh, another person being stabbed to death in Brentwood. Uh, so at about 5 o'clock when he received the call from the coroner, um, uh, that's when he was alerted. And within a couple, maybe a minute of them making that call to my dad, um, my brother's face was plastered all over the news. Um, I did not hear until about 6.30. Um, I was working at the time and, and didn't get home until around 6.30, and that's when my dad told me. Mm. Well. Uh, the, now, how did you deal with the verdict and the verdict celebrations and the people that were cheering when um, the killer got off? Um, I hibernated <laughs> a little bit. Um, I think uh, I, I I went to the gravesite. I wanted to be with my brother. Um, I was felt very um, disappointed and betrayed by the system and by the jury. Um, I I was obviously shocked and and um, angry. Um, it didn't make any sense and still doesn't make sense to me on on some levels, although I've gotten better at being able to understand it differently now. Um, but it's hard. I mean, it's hard that that the person that stabbed my brother to death, who I believe wholeheartedly did it, um, and and killed Nicole, is, has his freedom and is walking the streets. That's really hard to reconcile. And, and I'm not any different than a lot of other families that have the same experience or that don't even have the opportunity to go to trial. Their cases are, are cold. You know, so um, just no way to explain it. You're just always on hyper alert. Yeah. Now, I have to say, um, now, Johnny Cochran, um, now he's passed since then, um, but he, he he said something pretty awful after the verdict, didn't he? He, uh, you know, I, I misspoke um, at, at one point in some interview. Um, he didn't say gotcha. He looked at me. He mouthed it. It was what I interpreted from the smirk um, that he and the killer both had when they looked at me in the in the in the in the courtroom. Right. Um, he did not blurt it out. Um, I I didn't say that, but it, it got misconstrued to what happened. Um, okay. But you know, again, uh, it, I I locked eyes. I know what I know what the feeling was. I know what the 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 insinuation was. They smirked at me. Um, 
and then they mouthed it. That's my memory of it. Um, but it's, it's neither here nor there at this point. Caused a lot of stress for you as well. I I I think that um, with the um, Vegas arrest, when he got put in jail, um, I think you mentioned that it took away a lot of your stress. Um, it it did. Uh, uh, I think um, you know when I I don't think I realized how much um, I was not burdened with some of that anxiety until he was released back. Um, because when he was released back, I felt like anxious again, and I don't think I had realized truly how much um, stress relief it was for him to be behind bars. I mean, over time, I started realizing, oh, I don't have to deal with it as much, but it wasn't until he was released back into the community, I thought, oh, God, I had a break from this for nine years. Um, But, you know, even from behind bars, he was still able to create attention for himself, Um, but it it was... it was a reprieve for a short period of time to be able to to have a small sense of, of normalcy be returned. Hmm. I tell you, um, I just can't believe what you've been through. Um, in your now, what's your podcast about? Uh, confronting O.J. Simpson, of course, but um, you have a lot of guests on. You've had Marsha Clark and Darden and all that. Meeting them have has meeting them changed your opinion of of them from before? Um. No, I don't think it's changed my opinion. I think that um, the, I, I think that the sole purpose for me um, to have conversations was to, to get some understanding and, and to extend some compassion um, for people that walked a very um, similar path, but just you know different than mine. But we were all kind of conjoined to this case, and I think each of us. You know, dealt with it differently, and and how it manifested in our lives um, was interesting to me. I mean, you know, we talked to Cato Kalin, and and I know that the world likes to think of him as a, as a goofball, um, but he's just a down to earth guy that was sucked up in something, just like the rest of us were, and how it impacted his life. I know that he's gone on to do some fun things for himself from a professional standpoint, but but it really impacted him. He had death threats, and and you know, he hibernated too. He he it it, it impacted his personal life deeply as it did with everybody that was involved with the case. That was an important um, discussion for me to have with people. Um, I think we forget the personal sacrifice um, of Marsha Chris and uh, and Bill Hodgman, the other prosecutor, um, and I think those are important conversations to have. What, what about yourself? Have you ever had any uh, negative comments about yourself directly or email, telephone calls from crazy people who support the killer? All the time, uh, all the time, uh, and I've certainly reported <laughs> a number of threats because um, it's super scary um, to have people um, be so angry and to be so threatening. Um, I, I, it's troublesome to me, but I understand it. Um, I, 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 I guess I understand it. Um, I try to keep most of it at bay. Sometimes I can't help myself, but I engage um, sometimes because I, I'm human. Um, I do try to. I know. Um, I, I try to. It's hard not to. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, um, and you know, some days I'm better at it than others. And and you know, for the most part, I think I do a pretty good job of of you know riding the high road. Um, but I can't help it. I, I get. It's harder for me when people go after my dad and my brother. Um, I, I don't let those go by um, without comment. 
Um, but most of the time, I just know it's somebody else's. I, it's somebody else's stuff. It's not about me. It's about them. And if this, if people have enough energy and, and time in their life that they can seek out a complete stranger to talk about hurting them or, or wishing violence upon them, then that's more about them than it is about me. And I need to let that be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We get that all the time, but not not <laughs> not near on your level. That's for sure. It's. Uh, I just get accused of working for the government. Um, now, now, you being in the psych major and doing all of that stuff, do you think OJ ever had any remorse, or do you think he believes the story he says? Like, what's your professional opinion of that kind of a killer? I think he's he's the you know the, the straight up narcissist. I think he's a psychopath, and I think that he is he he doesn't have the ability to show remorse. Um, I think that's been demonstrated by everything that he's done. I mean, even when he wrote the confession, I, if I did it, I mean, he there's no remorse in any of that. In the in the interview that he did afterwards, talking about it, I mean, he is he is void of that, um, and that's quintessential psychopathic behavior so um but i am not a killer i'm not a psychopath i don't know how you function in that world um but for someone that you know quote unquote claims that he didn't do it he certainly doesn't uh, behave like like a not guilty person um and for someone that claims he didn't do it why why doesn't he look for the person that did why isn't that important to him why isn't it important to him to to get justice for his wife mother of his children for some random stranger that tried to save his ex-wife's life i mean there's just nothing in his right. in his behavior that leads me to think he's anything but guilty we see those memes of him playing golf and underneath it says i'm looking for the real killer kind of thing it's disgusting yeah yeah um yeah I'm, I, as a podcaster myself, I listen to your podcast um, every week um, when you were doing it, and I loved it. It was fantastic. Do you feel like you achieved what you wanted to achieve with the podcast? Um, I, I think so. I'm still uh, kind of decompressing, um, and we have a you know few bonus episodes that are still coming out. Um, so I, I think I'm still kind of in it. Um, I'm trying to figure out where it fit and, and what I'm still yearning for. Um, but I, I think, again, what was important for me is to, is to talk to the people that were involved and to, and to, to reiterate the, the truth and the facts behind what happened. I think there's a whole new generation of people that are, that are learning about this case through uh, a fictionalized lens, um, through, you know, conspiracy and, and and cockamamie ideas about what happened that night, and it was important for me to try to lend a, a, a truthful narrative to the conversation because I think that's been getting lost over the years, and to bring it back to victims and survivors and domestic violence and grief and loss and recovery. Uh, we don't like to talk about those things because they're not very sexy. So um, I thought it was important to have open dialogue, and, um, and that was probably the most important part for me of the whole podcast. Do you, do you, did, have you seen any portrayals? When you talk about um, the, the shows and the movies and the miniseries and stuff, the FX series and all that, have you seen any good representations of what happened that with the killing and all that? Um, no. no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I should say no. I should say from the fictionalized version, there's been lots of incredible documentaries that have been done. Um, you know, I, I'm all about the, the, the facts. I don't think that we need to be dramatizing um, and fictionalizing something that was played out for the world to watch. I don't, I don't understand why that 
was done, um, and it was done without the involvement of any of the people that were there. Um, and while I appreciate that the FX show in some ways painted a picture of his guilt, um, it, it was done in such a way that I think sort of demeaned the importance of, I mean, brother Nicole weren't even in it, you know, like, uh, you know, it wasn't important for them to show the crime. I'm like, I, what? Like, how do you just dismiss them? I don't, you know, and the fact that they didn't talk to anybody that was involved in the case, um, I think they did a real disservice, um, but it is what it is, uh, and so I tried, again, just to focus on the facts and the evidence and, and to have that conversation rather than the, the fake, phony conspiracy ones. Right. Well, that, that happened a lot. I mean, in, in, in essence, uh, Ron Goldman got left out of the, a lot of people's conversations at the time. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's totally unfair. Um, and it still happens, you know. I mean, I, I think I think my dad and I've done a really good job of always making sure that we that we highlight my brother and and Nicole as the reason we were here to begin with. Um, I think over the years, it's the the media and, and the public has gotten a lot better with you know not Ron and Nicole is synonymous. Like you don't say one without the other. Um, Every once in a while, I will see uh, Nicole and her friend, the other victim, which is so surprising to me. Um, but it happens. Um, a couple months ago, I saw it on the front of a magazine. Uh, and it's just disappointing that for 25 years, people still can't figure out how to say my brother's name. Yeah, yeah, truly. Um, One syllable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how are you guys now? How's the family now? Um, how's 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 life for you guys now? You know, we're, we, we're plugging along, you know. Um, uh, my dad is living in Arizona with his wife. My dad uh, volunteers at the police station there as a victim advocate. Um, my stepmom has three kids who are all married and have lots of kids, so there's lots of grandchildren and nieces and nephews around. Um, I have a near 16-year-old kid. Um, um, I run an organization, like I talked about, that provides free mental health. I sit on the, I'm the vice chair of the National Center for Victims of Crime trying to make good in the world for victims and survivors. Um, I write, I speak, I do the podcast. Um, I, play, I do fantasy football. I'm a hockey fan. Like, you know, I'm just trying to function. <laughs> trying uh, to function in the world. Yeah. So. Canadian here. You mentioned hockey. So I know. Blackhawks. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I know. No. Sorry. Canucks, yeah, I'm, a Can I went to, I'm a Canucks fan. That's, oh, no. I, I went to a Canucks game. I went up to Vancouver, um, and I went to a Canucks game. It was amazing. I appreciate the sports. Uh, I was raised as a, a, in Chicago, so I'm Blackhawks all the way, even in our down years. Um, but I'm also a basketball fan. My son plays basketball, so I'm Bulls, Bulls and Blackhawks, Blackhawks to the end. But I do appreciate how hard the Raptors, I mean, that was a tremendous yeah. win. Yeah. So I, I will give you that, too. Yeah, there you go. Canada, eh? Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, well, well, Kim, it's been it's been a real uh, pleasure to talk to you, and it's, it's such a, a sad case, and, and we're really, you know, what can we say? Terribly sorry <clears throat> for the life that you've had to to deal with because of this, but um, I think you're doing a great job by podcasts and your books. And um, now, if people want to get a hold of you and nice people only, how, <laughs> how do they do that? Um, I, my website, uh, which I, I think I need to update a little bit, um, it's KimberlyGoldman.com, um, or on Twitter, Instagram, it's just or Facebook, it's Kim E. Goldman. Oh, you're doing Twitter? So. Are you crazy? Um, 
Yeah, you know what? I I do. I I'm I learn. I'm learning. Um, There's there. I, I, I'm trying to, I they are. I'm I'm I shy away um, because you know you. I, I'm frustrated. I can't have a I can't have an opinion outside of my brother's case because people tell me to stay in my lane. But then when I talk about my brother's case, people tell me to get over it. So I feel, I'm a little confused <laughs> on what my role is. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of feelings and thoughts, and and I want to be part of the conversation, but I don't want to be part of the the toxicity. So you know, got to yeah. pick and choose. Well, that must yeah. be really awkward uh, if you go out on a date now. Do you ever come across people that don't know you? Like have never. Yeah. Really. That's awesome. Yeah, I. Well, I think I I think part of it, you know, is the thought of context for people, um, you know, to to see. I mean, people, you know, they they look at you funny, you know, and they're not really sure why you look familiar. And I don't ever assume it's because of this, because I'm pretty active in my community, and you know, I go to the grocery store and I go to the dentist, and so I just assume that when people think they know me, it's because of that. Um, I can usually tell when it's from other reasons and so it just depends on where I'm at that day and what I disclose. Um, I don't usually give my last name. Um, I just introduce myself as Kim and you know just sort of you got to feel people out. I think over the years I've learned to have a radar about where people are at and what people know and and then I get to choose as to where I let them in and then once they know then it's a whole weird thing but yeah, that's a whole I just could imagine, you know, you you meet a guy and you're on a date and they don't know who you are. Um, when do you tell them? Um, you know, it, it doesn't get to be a secret for very long because I'm a pretty honest person and um, it's hard to hide parts of my life because I do live a public life in some regard. And, um, you know, if I'm doing an interview or I'm promoting something, you know, it's hard to lie about that and I don't want to lie um, but usually I can tell when someone doesn't ask me about my family they know because um, that's a pretty quick question when you're starting to get to know someone, how about your family, where'd you grow up, do you have any siblings, you know, some people don't ask those things that's usually a tell um, that they know about my family, when they ask those things I'm like okay how am I going to broach this topic and then I just sort of feel it out and, um, and then there's a moment of silence and awkwardness and then a yeah. you know, a reaction and, and then it's who knows? You know, it's been, I've had people burst into tears and, and um, I've had people apologize that they didn't know. I've had people apologize for not, you know, for the verdict. I mean, it's just interesting. Um, and I've had people also not feel comfortable dating me because they feel like they can't, you know, rise to my standard or that, you know, there's a hero complex when it comes to, I don't know, be a weird, yeah, but, you yeah. know, we all have baggage. Yeah. Mine just happens to be public sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little more seeable, I guess, you know, but, you know. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Wow. That's just incredible. Well, and there's also, there's a perception, I think, of me, too, that because most people have seen me very angry um, or crying, so therefore those are the only two things that people can see me as. Um, so uh, I probably overcompensate somewhere in there. Um uh, you know, trying to be strong and, you know, whatever that means. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a dance for sure. Yeah, always. Yeah. yeah. Well, we will have your um, website posted on ours as well as the uh, podcast, uh, Confronting O.J. Simpson, and so that people can uh, do one click and uh, find you and uh, nice people only. Thank and, you. Yeah, and we really appreciate it. Thank you very much for, for talking Thanks, about guys. something. Um, Thanks so much, our guest. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. 
To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. The mission has been completed. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. 